Well, this is the last chapter of the last book that Paul wrote. And you're going to sense some real tension, some real apprehension. Some, he's getting to the finish line. He, this is it. And he loves Timothy so much, but not as much as he loves the Lord. And you're going to see that in chapter 4 here in Second Timothy. You're going to see it poured out on the pages of Scripture. But I think of the Civil War that was fought around here on this ground. And you had messengers. And the generals, they had no idea what was going on. There's no GPS. There's no satellite. There's no telephones. There's, not, there's hardly even electrical uh, Morse code t- to get through unless you're on a rail line. And the only way that they would know what's going on is by these scouts. And the only ways that they could get orders to each other was by sending messengers. And in the heat of battle, things would get very, very interesting. You didn't know what was going on. There's a lot of confusion. You you didn't know if, if your forces had held their ground or been lost in battle or taken ground. You had no idea. But you couldn't make a decision as a general without knowing what's going on. And so you'd have to send a runner and here comes the runner, and he's wounded, and he's got something very important. Everybody's waiting. Everybody wants to hear it. The tension, everything is on this guy. And as he's giving up his last breath of his life, he's trying to share this message. Could you imagine the intensity of li- trying to listen? What is he going to say? Is he going to, and everyone's close, everyone's quiet. That's the final moments here with Timothy. This is towards the end. This is important. This has so much impact. This is, this is it. The last thing that he's going to say on the written pages of Scripture, and he starts off in verses 1 through 5. I charge you, this is the order, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So this is what's called an imperative. These are things that we are to do. This is an action. This is an order. Timothy, I am charging you. And so he is telling Timothy, hey, you have to do these. This is so important. And what is it that is so important? It is teaching the Bible. As a pastor, there is absolutely nothing more profitable, more important, more vital for me to do than to teach the Bible, to grow in the Bible, to talk about the Bible. Everything's focused on that. And the Lord has really been hammering that home with me recently. I've been talking and sharing with some friends. We've been watching uh, Joe Foch, Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. I highly recommend. It was so tempting for me to try and cut his three... Um, study three-part hour and a half long studies and condense them into this 30-minute subject but i couldn't do it so i highly recommend that you go to ccphilly.com and watch his study on second timothy chapter three on the word of god the foundation of the of 
Everything is in the Word of God and how trustworthy it is. If you need that reference again, just get with me after service. I'll give it to you. I've listened to it already a couple times. Teaching the Bible. This is, all, this, is, it, this is my opinion now. This is the apex of everything that Paul's trying to say. His whole ministry. This is the very foundation. Because he just finished off last chapter. Remember chapter 3, verse 16, if you look back a little bit. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so after he explains and expounds and re-energizes Timothy's focus in the scripture, he then charges him, he gives him an, an order as a general, and says, hey, listen, you are going to stand before Jesus Christ, and he's alive, and he's coming back. And because of that, you need to preach the word. You need to share the word. And be ready in season and out of season. There's a lot of things here on this list, though, that are not very fun. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, but he says, convince we're supposed to be sharing with people, hey, listen, this, is, this word is true. This is God's word. And I believe it was Charles Spurgeon, and if I ever get a quote wrong, I always say it's Charles Spurgeon anyway, just to be sure. But he said, defending the Bible is like defending a lion in a cage. All you do is let it out and let it defend itself. You just put it out there, and the word of God will never return void. Then it says to rebuke for the believer. That's the second thing in the list in, cha- in verse 2, chapter 4. Every time you open this scripture, you're going to receive a rebuke, something of correction. The Bible says that its word cuts to our very bone, our very marrow. It discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There are areas that we think we're doing great. You spend some time in the, in the word and you're just like, wow, Lord, you really know. So you could fake it. You could be a fake Christian. You can be excellent in the religion of churchianity where you have your attendance is good if i ask hey how's your walk with lord oh it's doing great lord's blessing me all the time you have all the right answers telling everybody all the right things but inside rotting away the lord knows you'd be rebuked by the word of god exhort means to encourage you receive that Rebuke, and then you get the exhortation, you get the encouragement that, hey, you can do this too. You can do this because it's not you, it's the Lord working through his word, working through the spirit in your life. And then it says, with all long-suffering and teaching. Um, you know, sometimes you guys have to endure with long-suffering my teaching. And praise God for it. You know, teaching, we know in the uh, book of James, let not many of you be teachers because you shall receive the stricter judgment. And so Paul's saying to here, Timothy, hey, the Lord's coming back. You need to preach the word because you're going to have to stand before him and be accountable to his word. And you're, people are not going to receive it very well all the time. And if you've shared the word at all or you've shared your faith with anyone, it's difficult. It's a spiritual war. And you have to be long-suffering. 
Those are the two things that we don't want put together, right? We don't want suffering, but we definitely don't want to be suffering for long. You know, maybe we don't mind doing things over the long term and we don't mind having a little bit of suffering, but we do not want long suffering. That means long, drawn out, doing the duration. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Boy, has that time come today. When it says here their own desires and itchy ears, it means that they go around, these people that profess to be Christians, they profess to be disciples, and they kind of taste test. They coffee taste test churches. Oh, I don't, ooh, that was a little too strong. Oh, that one's too sweet. Oh, I like this pastor. Oh, I'm not into that flavor right now. I'm going to go check out this. And whatever is their fancy, whatever their itch is, they just scratch that itch. Oh, it's, I'm itching over here. I'm itching over here. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this if you're in a relationship with your spouse, but um, I ask my wife to assist me with this. Oh, no, left, left, left. No, right, down, 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 up. And then about 20 minutes later, I say, oh, you got it. Thank you so much. Because it, it, like, it moves. I don't know what it is. Spiritually, we're the same way in the flesh. Sometimes we lean towards being too spiritual. and Sometimes we, learn, we lean to being too legalistic. Or we have a lot of joy. Or we're experiencing a lot of suffering. And the Bible says, a double-minded man is good for nothing. He's unstable in all his ways. The sure foundation is in the Word of God. In the Bible. It's the anchor of our faith. Jesus Christ is the anchor of our faith, and he is, in, he is the Word. He is the Word. When you spend time in the Word, you're spending time in the mind of God. His revelation to each and every one of us. Well, I have a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of hearers. You have what's called a Hobby horse Christians. You know, you have a Christian that all they ever want to talk about is eschatology, end times events. They don't talk about anything else but that. Or they only talk about missions. No matter what you do, they only want to talk about this. And they're, they're striving about with words to no profit. It's all about knowledge or it's all about coming up with a new thing, a fresh thing, instead of passing the litmus test in Galatians chapter 5 and 6, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Are you growing? Are people growing? Are they being encouraged? Here in 2 Timothy, Paul has been reiterating chapter after chapter after chapter that even though he's going through difficult times, he is in prison. He is going to die. He is going to die soon. He's expecting the Lord's return that the most important thing is the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Your Bible, sitting next on your nightstand, next to your bed. That's where it's at. That's where all the secrets are. That's where all the truth is. That's where all the answers are. That's where all your refreshing and your encouragement. Let me give a quick word of rebuke before we go into verse 6. You know, I have a lot of friends and I sometimes lean, unfortunately, in this direction, that are kind of coffee snobs, and then they'll post things like, oh, I need my coffee to survive. I need it to wake up. I need it to blah, 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 blah. That is how we're supposed to be with the Word of God. 
Our desire for Jesus should be like these people that are always posting, uh, oh, it has to be fresh ground, and it has to be 215 degrees. And if I go to Starbucks, I have to have my mocha non-frap latte. I'm making something up because I don't go to that place. But it has to be perfect every time. And I got to have it. And I'm going to go across town for it. And I'm going to invest into it. I'm going to pay $5 for a 99-cent cup of coffee because it has to be just right. Man, if we had the same intensity and eagerness towards the Bible, how different would we be? How, how different would your life be and your walk with Christ be? Again, it's a word of, in, of rebuke and encouragement for me as well because there's other areas where we can all say, well, what if we had that same enthusiasm for the Scripture that brings life? Let's go to verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved, who have loved his appearing. Paul does not expect to be released from prison this time. He's been in prison before. He's been released before. But this time he says he's ready to be poured out. Empty. Gone. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he would tell the believers there through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he is preparing himself to enter the kingdom. Now all he has to do to get out of this is to recant. Call Caesar as Lord. Say that the Bible, that Jesus is not as important as he says it is, and they'll let him go, scot-free. He's a Roman citizen, but he will not. He is finishing the race. He is fighting the good fight, and it's over. He's keeping the faith. Now, we have a race, and we have a fight, but it's yours and yours alone. Don't run Paul's race. Don't fight Paul's fight. A lot of times we're always comparing ourselves to other people. You have your own walk. You have your own fight. You have your own relationship with the Lord. Are you running it to win? Are you fighting it to win? Or are you, are your spiritual goals, is your spiritual relationship with the Lord based on, Lord, how can I not suffer and definitely not suffer long? Lord, how can I get out of suffering at all times? See, that's the exact opposite of what Paul was saying. I'm not saying that we're supposed to go out there and ask for it. When I pray, I say, Lord, please use me and, and raise me up and bless me, keep me strong, and have a strong hedge of protection around me at all times. I'm not praying for the long-suffering part. That comes on its own. But are we running our race and not being so worried about others? See, there will be a time when you are going to be poured out. When the time that you have left is going to be short and you're going to stand before the Lord and you're going to face Him face to face. Will you receive the crown that He has set apart for you, for your work, for your walk, for your fight, for your race? And that's between you and Him. I have no idea what your calling is. 
We say, I don't know. Where do I find it? Right here in the Word. This is where you're going to be instructed, rebuked, encouraged, exhorted to keep the faith. We know from Hebrews that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He will guide and direct you. The Lord, it says there at the end of verse 8, is the righteous judge who will give to me on that day and not only not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Have you loved the appearing of the Lord into your life? And are you ready? Are you longing for his reappearing? For his imminent return? I believe through the scriptures that Jesus' return is imminent. Any moment. I don't know when that's going to be, but it's next. It's coming up. I was um, watching a prophecy uh, conference a few weeks ago, and I love the way that one of the pastors put it. He said, uh, if you're on a flight from L.A. to Miami, you don't know, and you don't know the screen, you don't know how far you are on the flight, all you know is the next stop is in Miami. You might be five minutes out, you might be 12 hours out, but that's the next stop. And the next stop in terms of Scripture is that Jesus Christ is coming for his bride. That's us. Are you ready or are you hesitant? Like, I got a couple more things to do, though, before you show up, Lord. You could just fit that into my timeline. That'd be great. Not Paul. Not Paul. I'm going to share with you on a side note. um, As Pastor Chuck was passing away of cancer, it's said in his inner circle that he still expected to be raptured before he died of cancer. He was still waiting. He was holding on for the imminent return of Christ. And I pray that I have the same expectation and I know that Paul did I know that Paul did 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad every person is going to appear before before Christ let's read verses 9 through 18 Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you. For he is useful to me for ministry, and Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, people are going to betray us. People are going to fail you. Now, what do we do, though, when people betray us and they fail us? We shut them out. We shut everybody out. You say, okay, fine. I'm going to be an island unto myself. I don't need anyone. 
And so we may say that when we say when Paul was forsaken by Demas, a guy that he had spoken highly of before. And then you see that the other ones, they didn't forsake him. They just had other ministries. We're going to see, though, in verses 19 through 22, that even though people, yes, are going to forsake him, he needs their help. And he asked Timothy, he says, hey, uh, come quick. Bring the parchments, please. Come quickly. I need you. But what do we notice from this portion of Scripture? He says in verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I can't tell you what your friends, your neighbors, your family are going to do, but I can tell you what the Lord's going to do because the Bible tells me he will never leave you nor forsake you ever, ever in all time and eternity. He has purchased you. He has given himself for you. People will fail. People are sinners, but God is perfect. The Lord never fails. He is always truth. There is not a lie in him. And every promise written to you in this book, the Bible says his promises are yes and amen. You can hold on to those promises. We were speaking uh, um, about Pastor Chuck. And Pastor Chuck Smith, I was just listening to him on on his study from way back in the day. And he took a promise from the scripture And he just said how much he sat on this promise and clanged to this promise and just meditated on this promise. And the promise is this in Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. I've read that verse so many times. I've memorized that verse. But to really sit there and just grasp this promise everything will work together for the good. doesn't explain how. It doesn't tell us why. It doesn't even say when. It just says that it is. It is a promise from God. If you love him, you can take that to the bank. You can cash it in. You are going to take that home. Whatever trial, whatever dark period you're going through, you just take that promise from God and you just trust it and you sit on it, and you meditate on it. And as I was listening to Pastor Chuck just share that, you could hear the pain, whatever the things that he's gone through, and, but you could also hear the reassurance of just meditating on that verse and how it brought him through. And I think of Paul in a prison, forsaken, about to die, giving his final instructions and orders, and yet he says, the Lord will never forsake me. He's going to deliver me, he says. Out of the mouth of a lion, he says in verse 18, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work, preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. In your darkest time, you need to get your eyes off of your position. Get your eyes off of your hurt. Get your eyes off those that are forsaken you and put your eyes in the scriptures, in the promises of God. And look forward to his kingdom and to where he's going to bring you. Because he will deliver you. And all things will work together for the good. And there are many other promises from our Lord Jesus that are for you. Like a checkbook. Blank checks with tons of money in the account. All you got to do is write your name and your expense on there. 
And the Lord has so many promises just like that. Fill in your name by faith, whatever your problem is, and just take it to the bank because the promises are yes and amen. Well, I'm just like you. I mean, I read uh, Romans 8, 28. Oh, yeah, all things work together for the good. Teach it to my kids. But in the back of your mind, there's like, there's doubt. Really? Is this really going to work for the good? I really don't understand why my best friend has cancer. And he's leaving his kids that are such and such age. Again, I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't know when. But I know from scriptures that this is going to work together for the good. I don't know. I don't know. And then we jump on the excuse train. The enemy shows up. And then you just start. I mean, I can go, oh, you came from a poverty-stricken family. And your father forsook you. And you know, blah, 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 blah. You fill in the blank. And I'm trusting in my own self. I'm trusting in my own intellect, in my own strength, in my own power, and saying, yeah, that I'm going to figure out the promises of God in my own self. Because I'm, this is what you're saying, because this is what I'm saying to myself. You are smarter than the Word of God. That just is so ridiculous, isn't it? When you say it out loud, but that's what you're saying when you are denying these scriptures. You're saying that these promises, the Bible says that God spoke and it was. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Bible says that the Word will never pass away. Never. It is eternal, it is forever. But I'll come against it in my own finite mind and say sometimes in a spiritual war, yeah, but, yeah, but my situation is different. No, it isn't. Yeah, but, you know, uh, you just don't know the details. Yes, he does. And yet the promises remain true. The promises remain true. Paul knew this because it wasn't just an intellectual study for him. Paul knew this because he wasn't just in a Bible class. Paul knew this because he was walking out his life through this. He was being poured out. He was long-suffering. He was in the midst of trials, tribulations. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was robbed. So on and so forth. And he would say, I'm not worthy. I'm the least of the apostles. He would say that he's a slave. And then in Philippians chapter 4, he said, I can do all things through Christ, whether I'm abased or whether I'm abound. Just trusting in his Lord. Trusting in his Lord's promises and not his own self. And so he, com- he finishes here the chapter in verses 19 through 22. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Tromethus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eulubilus greets you, as well as Pudens, Lanus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Grace be with you. That's the final thing he wants to say. Grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever just meditated on grace? You can't earn the favor of God. You can't make yourself more righteous than what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. The moment that you accepted him, 
Again, in Romans, the Bible says that when we were enemies with God, Christ died for us. When Saul was persecuting and causing believers to blaspheme his name, Jesus loved him and gave himself for him, redeemed him, and made him Paul, the apostle. That's grace, unmerited, unearned favor. Grace is another promise that you can take to the bank. I was having a conversation with a young man, a young disciple. He's growing in the Lord. And I was telling him, you know, you just got to calm down in your walk because you're trying to impress God. You're trying to show him that you really believe him now. And I had to explain to him. I said, listen, a couple of years ago when you deny, when you didn't believe in God and you thought that your family was religious fanatics and all that and you thought that God was silly, he loved you. He loved you, he gave himself to you, and he brought people into your life to speak to you the truth. And he just wanted to redeem you. And now you're redeemed. How happy is he? So, oh, well, he's, he's really happy. Of course he's happy. So why are you living your Christian walk like he's not happy? He loves you. You're, you're his adopted son. He gave himself for you. You're part of the family. You can't get out of the family. You're family. That's the grace of our God. From the day... You were conceived in the womb. He formed you. He knew you. He's not surprised by you. He knows all of your deepest, darkest things that you're the most ashamed of in your entire life. The things that you bury so far deep that you don't even want to reminisce on them yourself. Things that you've done or you've seen. He knows them. He hasn't forgotten. And he loves you. And he's washed you clean. He's made you a new creation. Because of that, all things work together for the good. And no matter what happens today or tomorrow or this year or until the Lord returns, you're going to be in the presence of Christ. You're going to inherit a kingdom. You're going to be in a place with many mansions. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would not tell you. This is all going to work out. We're going to win because Jesus has overcome. And so I, I close the way Paul closed. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to enter a time of prayer now, and we just want to continue to meditate on your goodness, to pray for each other, to pray for our family, to pray for those nearest to us, to pray for those in the fellowship, for leadership, for America, for this world, for believers. We just want to intercede, Lord, and to also just to praise you, to spend time thanking you and praising you together as a fellowship and the things you are doing in our lives that we don't earn this, Lord. You've given it to us. We thank you in Jesus' name.